Yo, welcome to another episode of the Sonic Cloth Podcast. This is your host, Jamil, and we've got another rabbit hole of music lined up. And as usual, we are changing up gears from the last episode. So for anyone who discovered the show after listening to my last one, the Billy Woods episode with a Secret House Against, you're in for a whole nother world now, a, a strange and hellish another uh, world, in fact. You know, actually, I was like thinking about this before before recording. It may be ridiculous to think that at one time there couldn't be crossover between like weirdo black metal and grimy rap music. But mm. thank the Lord we are not living in those times any longer. <laughs> and, and that's not a sentence I get to say very much these days. I don't think anyone really does. But either way, onto the show. Um, I'm live here with uh, John Rosenthal. How you doing, man? Hello. John is a writer and contributor to music publications like Invisible Oranges, Decibel Magazine, Brooklyn Vegan. He's also a comrade in po- podcasting and hosts the Screaming Bloody Oranges podcast. And thanks for coming on the show, man. It's, it's really good to meet hey, you. Hey, thanks for having me, Jamil. I, I appreciate you being here, and I appreciate you assembling this this great track list that um, you've submitted to the Sonic Cloth Canon. I'm very glad that we landed on this topic that we're just going to call Weirdo Black Metal for this episode, as I've been really wanting um, to have someone on who truly lives and breeds metal, I think especially uh, Black Metal, just to help school myself and the listeners on like the, the sort of sweet spots of strange and unorthodox Black Metal. And I've actually been a longtime Invisible Oranges reader. Um, I think I was started off in the, the Cosmo Lee days. Yeah, yeah, Cosmo. Those were the golden ages. Yeah, founder founder of Invisible Oranges. And I think, you know, him along with, um, oh, escaping, escaping me right now. I know Cosmo used to write a lot of like metal stuff for Pitchfork. Oh, Brandon. Brandon Stosoy, yeah. Yeah, Stosoy. Like the, those, and Kim Kelly too, I think were like kind of just like OG, like extreme mm-hmm. metal extreme music kind of writers and i think that's where like my interest in in heavy music really kind of originated there and of course like kept up with with a lot of the writing that that was happening on invisible oranges even even after like the cosmo lee days but um mm-hmm. obviously you you have been um you've been in, in with the publication for a long time yourself eight years eight years that's awesome that rules and your presence on Twitter has also just led me to discover uh, countless bands and albums over the years. So just want to want to thank you for your service. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, it's got to be like a cool feeling that you can direct people towards music that you're really excited about and, and know that some portion of the audience will, will actually like go and check it out. Right. <laughs> I mean, I, it's all I can really hope for that people will check out cool music. It's not so much like me showing them that's important so much as it's them checking it out, you know? Yeah, and then communicating back like their their thoughts on it and having like a, a dialogue kind of thing versus like a, a tastemaker kind of strange, like egotistical kind of approach. So mm-hmm. yeah, I've uh, certainly always appreciated about that. And I don't even know how many bands or albums I have like, you know, seen you tweet out or write about and then I'm just clicking, clicking the link and like checking it out for myself. Cool. With that said, I've actually been in a, a pretty big metal rut lately in terms of my listening habits. Not so much that I haven't been finding good stuff, but that I I've just haven't been listening to it. This is probably like the longest I've gone in the last like 15 years of just not really being invested in new metal releases, but also at the same time, like not going back and revisiting a lot of the old stuff that I love too. Mm-hmm. Kind of a weird space that I find myself to be in, but I do feel myself getting pulled back in by virtue of being away from it for so long. And also in preparing for our conversation too, listening to this track list especially. 
And I think the the fact that there's a new Blood Incantation EP, a new Two Mold album, a new Horrendous yeah. album, that's also like helping to, to nudge me back into... I know you are a big fan of a lot of other styles of music, but do you ever find yourself being kind of like pulled away from metal altogether or does your, your job writing just keep you anchored to it, whether you want, whether you want to be there or not? You know, I mean, metal was my second love, I guess I was, I was into punk first. Uh, My first favorite band was bad religion. So like, since I've been into it for like, what is it? 20 years now or something like that. 25 years. I, I am always kind of connected to it. But, like, there are some days where, yeah, I just don't want to listen to metal. I want to listen to something calmer or a little more immersive. But it, it always comes back. I mean, like, you look behind me and there's, like, there's Vintersorg and there's Catatonia and Urfaust and Shatan, all that stuff. Yeah. It's just, it's always there. Oh, that's the Shatan, the Black Twilight Circle release, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's Way oh, of the Wolf. That's a killer album I haven't heard in so long. I always love that album cover, too. It's a lot better than those other album covers, which feature feet. So. Oh, really? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yes. Maybe we'll get in, maybe we'll get maybe we'll get into them in a, in a little bit. I do have uh, I do have something that re- reminded me of them on your track list. You said you're a bad religion fan. Where do you fall on uh, into the unknown? I ask because this came up on a, a podcast I recorded a, about like adjacent hardcore music, and and it, that album got brought up there. Yeah, no, into the unknown. I like it. I think it's a fun space rock album. I don't think it's punk by any means, but like bad religion, I don't think wanted to be a punk band anymore at that point. I can respect that. I think that's important. Uh, it's not like the best album by any means, but like I own a copy, you know. I was uh, had an interview with uh, Jay Papandreas, and he was talking about how they like physically stopped making that album. Like they stopped the mm-hmm. production and all that. So the fact that you own a copy, and I don't know if it's been repressed since, if there has. Oh, it's a bootleg. Oh, oh, it is. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's awesome because <laughs> he was telling me that like the band has like straight up shunned the album i think like as it was yeah. coming out like they made it recorded it released it and then immediately hate like hated it and but maybe that's different <laughs> I, don't know. I, I don't know i mean they don't play any of the songs live or anything like that so well yeah, wait till the the 30 year anniversary tour of of, of that album in particular <laughs> <laughs> coming up on 40 <laughs> oh yeah yeah what am i talking about 30 <laughs> Okay. Well, um, I, I had a, a few thoughts about kind of black metal as a whole, as one does when, when they're talking about black metal and all the different strains of it. And, and I'd just be curious to know what you think, like here, or even if like it's worth pontificating on this kind of level um, about black metal, just it, rather just being like, fuck it, I, I like what I like and, and who cares. But um, I think black metal is kind of like the original weirdo subgenre of the entire like metal canon okay just be just because if we're talking about like the 80s and 90s black metal already was was really bizarre even the first and second waves of black metal i think like barely carried over a lot of the sonics and a lot of the compositional styles of like conventional rock and roll compared to the other subgenres of metal that existed at the time unless we're you know maybe grindcore is maybe an exception that doesn't really sound anything like like older rock and roll <laughs> And partially for that reason, I think black metal can take on so many forms. You know what I mean? Like, it can be the the purest expression of like evil punk, like mayhem, right? It can be progressive and highly orchestrated thing, like you know what Emperor was doing in the early days. It could be really minimal and ambient, like Streborg. It can be crazy, like a crazy cosmic horror like scene, like you know Leviathan. But then it can also express like folk traditions from every possible region of the world. 
in right. both in both like the modern era and even like harkening back to like more ancient kind of sounds. So at, at this point in its life as a subgenre, I mean, I feel like I could I could show someone like the most primitive expressions of black metal and then show you black metal that sounds like the most cutting edge, like futuristic expressions of heavy music. And I think a couple of tracks in your playlist maybe like are in that camp as well. Um, all to say that this thing started off as like kind of a limited color palette, like you could paint with it. Um, within the context of heavy metal. And now I see black metal as more like an entire medium of art. And I think sometimes, uh, you know, black metal has gotten so wide that it that it may have even outgrown its own like kind of subgenre status and now kind of like functions as a, a broader genre of music, despite its its original deep relation to metal. So I guess with that said, like my question is like, where do you think we're at in terms of both the evolution, but also like the saturation that has occurred over say the past 20 25 years in the world of black metal. Sure. So, I mean, evolution, black metal's always been weird. You're right. I, when, when we go through this kind of playlist that I put together, we're, we're going back to like 1992, 1993. And, and granted, black metal has been around a lot longer than that. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's always been there like that. And I think like while people are bringing new things into the fold, like, like I think like Zealand Arter or, um, uh, juke gite stuff like that like people are taking these other musical traditions and kind of smashing it together with black metal and making something else but that's not like a new or novel thing by any means it's just people i guess people just don't really know about it that much now i guess and that's fine you know it's just uh you know for for old heads like me i guess and i guess i can call myself an old head now um <laughs> it's just it's always been this weird kind of impenetrable thing but saturation yes because black metal is oversaturated everyone is putting their demo on Bandcamp or putting it out on tape limited to 10 copies that's put on Bandcamp. <laughs> and um yeah i i think uh, i think there's too much <laughs> i think i think that people need to edit themselves better but that's also just in music in general because like even if you think back to like the beatles the beatles put out how many albums in 14 years yeah yeah it's just you know and, and while, while they were good editors there's hours and hours and hours and hours of material they didn't use uh with black metal it seems like people record every idea they have and put it out yeah i think i think that that's true there there's that uh penchant towards you know getting everything possible released and that's a far cry from like you know the old tape trading scene pre-internet back in the day right but i think there's this all there's also this other thing and i and i'm not even saying this is a problem or this is like something that bothers me because i like who the fuck am i but i i find that like black metal is maybe the one subgenre that where this happens the most where like it gets connected to something that's very niche it's very specific it's very nerdy whether it be like a historical time period like a something fantasy very specifically fantasy driven like it, it could really be anything, any kind of aesthetic, even like down to like a particular series of, a, of books or movies mm -hmm. or like, I don't know what, like, and then what it looks like to me is like extremely online people using black metal as like the vehicle for like this kind of like really nerdy kind of pursuit, like having like a musical like accompaniment to it. And I think when that happens, it, it creates, like, it can create cool music. Like, I'm not saying that it can't, but, like, you end up with people that I think don't, probably don't have much of a, like, history in metal as a whole. Like, maybe if they're, like, tracing back, like, the music itself, 
that they're creating, like it starts, it, like they can go back as, as far as like maybe mayhem and then never know like the other genres, like genres of metal or the stuff that influenced mayhem or whatever. I don't right. know. I find that that like why why is black metal like so absorbent like in that in that way? And I don't expect you to have an answer. I'm just kind of like throwing this out there into the world. I mean, like there are people who just listen to black metal, right? Shitload, and, yeah, uh, yeah. And it, it's funny to think because like the people who make the best black metal don't just listen to black metal. You know, it's like it, it, it's like there's this new wave of black metal influenced black metal. But like the people who made Mayhem, made Emperor, made all this stuff, like while they were they were while they were listening to black metal, they were listening to other things too. You know, I mean, everyone's listening to Judas Priest, and you know, and that's where riffs came from, right? <laughs> you know, so yeah. it's uh, it's become this very insular thing, and I don't know if it's the best thing. Like uh, like there was this blog, and I'm just going to reference the title because the title is so true: Doom influenced Doom, which was Morgan Enos's blog. But it's, you know, it, it becomes a, uh, a scene that uh, celebrates itself. Yeah. And that's why, you know, like um, a second wave influence Black Metal album can, can come out today and like floor absolutely everyone, despite, you know, True. despite it doing absolutely nothing new. But just like mm -hmm. that sort of tr the traditional becomes like the subversive thing. I get, you, I get what you're saying. I mean, I was just listening to this new album on Into Endless Chaos Records by this band called, I think it's called Confession with a K. And it sounds like, you know, mid-era uh, mid Dark Throne, but it's great, <laughs> you know? So it, it's just like you were saying, you know, it, it could be this not as subversive thing, but it's just done really well. Yeah, and then, look, that's not what we're doing today. Today we're we're trying to highlight the, the true weirdos um, of the yes. genre. And the other thing is, like, I know a lot of people, I, I, I've heard this a lot, where... I meet people who are music fans really love music from across the spectrum. Um, and then, and then as it relates to metal, like they're like, I, I like only black metal and no other. Metal. <laughs> <laughs> and even then it's like black metal bands that have uh, emerged in the last five years. <laughs> mm -hmm. Sure. And not like your death, have death heavens, like bands that have like a hundred, you know, like 50 followers on Bandcamp. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and you can, um, that kind of traces back to like Lamp of Murmur getting so big, you know, because oh, yeah. like Lamp of Murmur was a highly limited band and it just got like that, you know, a snap of the fingers. It got huge. And like, I love him. He's a good friend of mine, but, um, and he's not me. I am not Lamp of Murmur. <laughs> so, oh, was that a thing? Who started that? Yes, that was, that was a, that was an internet joke. So I want to, I want to kill that. I missed that whole thing. <laughs> Pro prove it. it. How do we know? That's exactly what, what, what that's exactly what M would say. <laughs> I don't know. If you look at the pictures of M, he's a skinny person and I'm not skinny. So <laughs> I've yet to check out that, that new Lamp of Murmur record. But yeah, I love oh, it. I love Oh, I'm sure. I loved all the the earlier like releases, um, when it was like still kind of gaining steam. I was a big big mm -hmm. fan of that. Um okay. Well, I want to jump into the playlist, but I, I do have a question for you. I'm wondering whether You'd be willing to entertain me a bit and do a little bit of a, a quick take reaction to some weirdo black metal bands that we're not going to talk about today, but I think tend to elicit a reaction among the diverging tastes of, of kind of black metal nerds. Okay. Um, I know, I know I'm putting you on the spot here. I've never done this game on the podcast before, so I don't know if it's going to be a hit <laughs> or, or fail miserably, but and you could say no. the The way it works is, I'll hit you with a band, and and you can give me your quick take on their on their kind of like weirdo status. Like, okay. I don't know, 
one to five, maybe it doesn't even have to be numerical. Um, and and I'm, mo- I'm mostly interested in if you know throw out whether you like the band or not. Um, okay. and, and I mean, if there's a key album or something you want to shout out, you can do that too. It's completely your call. And, and also, if this sounds awful, I'm totally content to skip this because uh, I don't know if you appreciate Let's do it. It. this kind of lowbrow reductive musical exercise or something. I probably won't I, give a score, but I'll talk about it. Yeah, don't don't give a score. I I agree. That that sounds kind of funny. And and you know, if anything, this will just confirm that you have indeed listened to and have an opinion on every every metal band. Not the claim that you've ever <laughs> ever made, but maybe one that I'm that I'm making. <laughs> cool. Let's do this. Let's start with uh, Sai from Japan. Love Psy. I think that Psy is one of those cutting edge bands. They always have been. You go going back to um, Score and Defeat, the demos. Uh, I think that Mirai is a genius. I, I think uh, Imaginary Sonic Escape is like one of the best weird black metal albums. I should have picked one of the tracks for this uh, this playlist, but I did not. But yes, Psy is two thumbs up. And they were they're active in the nineties, right? Oh, very early nineties. Um, They've been around. They, they were on uh, Euronymous's label, Death Like Silence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, respect the sigh. Okay, uh, very different. A Violet Cold. <sighs> Do we have to talk about Violet Cold? Oh god, <laughs> <laughs> it's just the most like. Okay, here's the deal. Here's the deal with Violet Cold. I think he did some really cutting edge visual stuff. I think that. Um, the album with the pride flag with the uh the muslim symbol the the sun and the star uh, the moon and the star like yeah the crescent really the interesting for black metal but the guy is so cringe god i mean like like saying stuff about like 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 trying to find a girlfriend and saying stuff about nazi black metal like saying that he likes it is like dude come on just stop it <laughs> you know I, it makes me not appreciate the music as much because he's just so cringe yeah, this is the the what I was talking about earlier with the really, really online. Like you can like Violet Cold fans, you could probably meet a Violet Cold fan that has never listened to any other black metal in their life. They're not, they're not all going to be spicy. Um, Aransi Pazuzu. Aransi Pazuzu is good. I saw them. Uh, I, I remember when the first album came out and everyone was like, what in the fuck is this? Because like psychedelic black metal was a real novel thing back then. Like, like not this team had kind of done it. There was Vedio Gisfauer yeah. from France uh, who was on Paragon Records, which was interesting. But uh, yeah, Aransi Pazuzu, I think I think they got better over time. I think that they, they were doing some interesting things early on. But like with uh, Varela Tehila, I think it's called, uh, the one with the hair on the cover. I, yeah. I think that's a really interesting album because they are taking those kraut rock influences and making them into black metal.
know, it's interesting because they, I think they've been shedding the black metal thing more and more, yeah. although those vocals are just so, they're such perfect black metal vocals, you know? Oh, absolutely. And on that last, the last release they did, the very last track was just the whole song just a black, is just a blast beat, right? It's like 10 minutes mm-hmm. of blasting. Interesting that they would kind of bring that sonic part back in because there's not a lot of blast, blast beats and shit like that in, in previous records. It makes me think of a band called Aluk Todolo. Oh, yeah. With them. Yeah. From France. Yeah. 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 Because they, they kind of, they're not really a black metal band, but they are kind of too a little bit. I bet they got similar record collections. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, Matthew Kanagier, uh, he was actually behind that Vegyog's Fower project that I brought up. He's, mm. he's been at it for a long time because In the Distance came out like 97, I think was the demo. So he's, he's been at it for a while. Wow, yeah, I'm so glad you reminded me of that band because I just have forgotten about them. But yeah, those some of those releases I remember just were phenomenal, really, really hypnotic, really mm-hmm. cool stuff. Yeah, how about uh, pronunciation might be bad here. Do you, I hope you know what I'm talking about Kekt Iraq. Yeah, that's uh, Dimitri. That's a that's a good kid. I like him. Uh, crying Orc. Yeah, yeah. No, Dimitri, I interviewed for Decibel at one point. The whole like like he's really into cloud rap. So he kind of has like that modern emo thing going for him that like he's bringing into the black metal because like there's the Night Castle of Love song, yeah. which is like the, the acoustic clean vocal song. Like, yeah, like he's he's doing some interesting things, but he's also like pretty rooted in the traditional black metal at the same time. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, Pale Swordsman was was a bit of a hit and has been scooped. He's been scooped up by um... Sacred Bones. Yeah, Sacred Bones. Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah, I, I really love that. I, I was a little skeptical about that that album when the first time I heard it. And then I'm just like, I don't know. This is like, I love this. It's kind of like romantic, like mm-hmm. Renaissance kind of sounding stuff. But then it's also got this like, I don't know, like old emo thread kind of like. Yes, there are tracks that make me think of Elliot. <laughs> awesome and uh, yeah i'm an elliot old elliot fan going back going way back to yeah i wonder if that's that kind of stuff is in is in the repertoire too maybe i should ask him yeah yeah it's awesome that you also know these people <laughs> that rules only a couple more um do you know the brazilian band katyra yeah you know that's um kyle lamos yeah he has a bunch of projects uh he makes some interesting music i will say I think that that and Bree and um, yeah. he has another project whose name escapes me. But yeah, no, very interesting music. I think I think that there aren't a lot of people doing like progressive black metal and I'm doing the quotey thingies as I say that. Uh, so it is neat. I don't know if there's more stuff coming out of Brazil. If there is, I just want, I feel like I want all of it.
Yeah, I mean, uh, as far as like weird stuff, not so much. But I mean, there's always Mystifier, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know the name, but I, I just, I'm just not familiar with. Ooh, them. Mystifier is good. You gotta check out the album Goetia. Ooh, it's good. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. When I go back and edit this, I'm just going to be taking t- taking notes and adding. <laughs> and then I got two more. This next one is kind of weird. It's because it's not a band. I just wanted to ask, broadly speaking, Black Twilight Circle. Black Twilight Circle is great. Um, I think, well, I saw Volan and Ashdautas a long time ago. They played the Co-Prosperity Sphere in Chicago awesome. with Bonal. Oh, wow. Uh, 2009. So uh, Volan had released Dimensiones del Transcosmico uh, maybe a year before. And uh, the Black Twilight Circle was established, but not really public. So they were selling the Black Twi- uh, Worship Black Twilight CDR on that tour. So I, I got to talk with them about like, uh, like the new projects and you know, all this stuff because um, Aries Menda wasn't really a thing yet. They, they, had, mm. they had either just released uh, within the vacuum of infinity or were about to. So it was really cool seeing like all that kind of bloom from this, this LA and Mexico scene. I think that was really awesome. Wait, did I say LA? I'm in uh, Southern California, <laughs> not LA. But, um, but it's just, it's cool. Uh, I think I think that there's a lot of creativity coming from that small group of people. Yeah, I'm wondering. It's it, I mean, it's hard to know what the active status is, um, especially when mm. if we're if you, we group them all together, which may not be a fair thing to do. But I know that Arismenda had an album last year that was really good. Yes, very long too. <laughs> but um, Volan has a new album coming out probably next year called Popova. Oh, great. I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah, that, yeah, that Volan record from a few years back is just, oh. Akabal. Oh, man, yeah. it's so good. It's, it's like so the Minutemen black metal. <laughs> I've never thought of that before. Yeah, that makes sense. I was talking to Dan Lake about Volan. Um, we were talking about like Stratocaster metal and those tones and how <laughs> they're they're so similar to like Dire Straits or something like that, or like all this like yeah. kind of classic rock stuff too. Love it. Yeah, there's definitely some Knopfler in there. I think I think that works, especially on that latest track, uh, El Tigre del Sur, with the slide the guitar. One. Really cool. Really cool. Love it. I'm in the, I'm in, I'm in Arizona, so like that. I, I listen to it. And I'm like, oh, this is just the perfect music for like dry driving oh, yeah. driving in the desert tripping in the desert whatever you do in the feel like doing in the desert so good okay and and the last one and this is a bit of a curveball the album winds poem by mount Erie. oh i love mount Erie. uh phil is a an occasional pen pal of mine i i took a picture with him when he played chicago last i cried <laughs> but yeah winds poem I mean, he was listening to uh, he wrote about black metal for invisible oranges at one point um, how he really got into it, uh, especially after when Genevieve was sick, his wife. 
and yeah, he uh, wins poem. It's not a black metal album per se, but it's very influenced by it. I mean, like uh, Lost Wisdom Part Two, starting with the da 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 the blast. Yeah, that's cool. I think that's a really interesting album. It it was divisive when it came out, but it's it's very good. I think. It fits so well, and it's so it's so cool. Like I was so happy that he divulged and is interested in black metal, and I think yeah. probably comes comes at it from a from a from a different standpoint, and probably a right. very one that's very tied to you know the locale of, of 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 where he's living, and obviously a lot of the the themes that kind of stretch throughout microphones and Mount Erie are there's cer- certainly some some commonality there. Sure. And I mean, like, there there have always been, like, little black metal notes in Mount Erie, like the album Lost Wisdom. The the mm. cover is a, a Burzum reference, stuff like that, so. Yeah, no, that's rad. Okay, that's my little game. <laughs> well done. It was, it was cool to hear your, your take on some of these things. I wasn't trying to fish for uh, spicy takes with this, by the way. <laughs> yeah, no, it was just with that, with that Violet Cold, like, eh. I mean, I could have picked Violet Cold and, like, ten other, like, you know cringy black metal guy outspoken black metal guy things but that's yeah that's black metal tmz we don't we don't we're not interested in that nah okay well uh let's get into these tracks if you're if you're ready sure so i'm not sure how to uh read lithuanian but this first band is a newbie or a newbie depending on where you're from uh they they were a lithuanian band uh this first track is east tushtumos akmens chila uh, it's from their Mirti's Metaphora demo from 1995, I think. Let me double yep. check. Yeah, 1995. Yeah, it's uh, it's wild shit. 
this band, they were so cutting edge. They were so weird from the early nineties, you know, and they, they were on to something really interesting, especially with their album that came out in 2000, 1997. Oh my God. Uh, but sadly their singer died in a sailing accident on Lake Michigan, you know, out by me. Uh, yeah. so that band ended, but, um, their, uh, their guitarist Sadlov, uh, is still active in a band called Obtest, which is pretty cool. But this is just, it's weird. There's like weird slide guitars that happen. Uh, there, there's just a lot, there's a lot that's going on in this song. There are so many ideas that are just clashing and, uh, there's nothing like it. Yeah. I had no, I had no familiarity with this band and, and this type of black metal is very interesting because. Um, you know, you, you see it described as maybe avant-garde sometimes, but, you know, I always wonder, like, is it actually that? Or is it just some some weirdos from Lithuania who were incorporating, you know, presumably like Lithuanian folk sounds into their metal? Right. And due to our unfamiliarity with their local folk tradition, we, we presume they're pulling from like an avant-garde and experimental like musical school source or whatever, you know? Well, I mean, but Lord Ominous, their singer, he was definitely doing some weird things with his voice. And, you know, it's it's hard to really make that call. But in Obtest that Sadlov is in, like, yeah, there's a lot of folk in that. So, yeah, but, I, you know, it's possible both are true. I mean, there there's like yeah. there's drone tracks on here. There's like this minimalist almost like it reminded me a little bit like, Eno and Prip kind of like mm-hmm. collaborative releases like those passages with the kind of noodly guitar and the, and the synth. It's, it's a really mysterious take on, on, you know, what's raw black metal. Um, but it's also very, like, I found this whole album to be very calming and like hypnotic as well. It's beautiful. It is beautiful music. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, you know, they set out to accomplish maybe one, one of the things I think great black metal aims to do, and that's capture an atmosphere that you can't get in like real life or modern life right or maybe if you're on in nature um and and having some sort of like profound like sort of moment like i think Mm -hmm. i don't expect black metal to always do that but when it when it does i'm I'm always like yes like this is is one of the things i'm after yeah for sure i was also reading that this this album has very like you're saying it's got that slide guitar which we're going to hear in the track which sounds insane but it also has saxophone violin vibraphone and accordion yeah there are a lot of instruments. There's a lot. And and what I love about the album is that it's it's probably only actually about like 60% actual metal parts. And and the rest mm-hmm. of it spends its time in like this kind of like world building, like folk in ambient territory. Um, and and it, this strikes me as some kind of predecessor to some of the Black Twilight Circle stuff, actually. Sure. I mean, Anubai is one of those like, like I don't want to say infamous because it has a negative connotation, but like it's one yeah. of those things that you hear and uh, you hear like whispers of it in the underground, especially now since it's been so long since Lord Ominous died. I mean, he died 21 years ago, uh, and there, there obviously hasn't been anything since. But um, it was uh, Inferna Profundus uh, repressed Mirti's Metaphora in 2015, 2016, maybe, which really helped get it back out there. Yeah, I was going to ask like how it's it's, probably, it's hard to know, of course. Like how how deep does this go? in terms of the the halls of black metal. I mean, I don't know, like Baltic is Baltic black metal. Like it's probably a little bit of a small world, right? It is. I mean, like there is Baltic metal, like, like Metzatol and stuff, but it's a, uh, it, it's a very small world and it's very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like incestuous, I guess it's like the same yeah. people. 
There's, there's only there's only a few weirdos doing this. Yeah. <laughs> Out of all the picks, this one was my number one. This was my favorite. I hate oh, to nice. blow my load a little early, but um, <laughs> it just it just felt really special to me, and and definitely on some true weirdo shit. It sounded like it was made by a a, a troll in a Lithuanian dungeon or something. So excellent. I loved this. Um, how does the full length compare to this? Uh, uh, it's weirder. Yeah. It's even weirder. It's just like I, I want to pick Mirtis Metaphora, especially because this this song itself is very accessible, like relatively speaking. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the the album they they go into so many different directions, and there's a lot more black metal, but it's just so bizarre, so cool. I love it. Yeah, I loved it too. Um, let's go ahead and listen to a little bit more of this track from uh, Anubie. Next track is uh, Ved Wenzende, It's Magic. Um, this was a band formed in 1994 in Oslo, and the album is Written in Waters from 1995. Yep. Yeah, this is. I think this is a big one in the weirdo world. This is one that I was familiar with. I saw that you wrote a, a really great piece for Decibel about this album, which I'll oh, go ahead and same, link. In, yeah. yeah, I'll go ahead and link that in the show notes too. But please tell us about, uh, about this band and maybe a little bit about Norwegian Strangeness. Sure. Uh, Jeff Wagner, who's one of my favorite writers, he calls it Norweird. <laughs> uh, there, nice. there was just there was this movement of strangeness. We'll, we'll get more into it as we go along because there's some other bands that we're covering that are Norweird, as it were. Oh, and, and let's sorry, let's shout out their Radical Research podcast too. Radical Research podcast, Jeff Wagner and Hunter Ginn. Love you guys. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, uh, I where do I even begin? Like this this band. You know, it started with Vikotnik. Vikotnik, uh, Yusuf Parvez, uh, he started a band called Manas, which is different from the Manas that everyone thinks of. But um, uh, it was like drum machine black metal, very mournful. But he was hitting some of this weird tonality and odd clattering chords. And it was uh, in 1994 when they put out the Those Who Caress the Pale demo, or EP, depending on who you ask. But it's with this album especially this song where they, you know, it's still very mournful and kind of hollow sounding. And uh, it's uh, Carl Michael Ida on drums and some guitar and vocals. And uh, he has this very larger than life kind of, kind of sound to his voice. I, I love that. 
And uh, I mean, Skull is on base. You know, Skull, who was an over for the trilogy, an Arcturus, he just has this very lyrical kind of lilting sound to his bass. And they were a power trio. And it rules, <laughs> you know? Like, I got to see them at Metal Threat Fest this last April, and it was perfect. Oh, wow. It was absolutely perfect. The first time in the U.S., and they play fucking Lombard, Illinois, of all places. And, oh, uh, what? Yeah, yeah, just out in the suburbs. Uh, and uh, it was oh, so yeah. fucking cool. And this album means so much to me. You know, I, uh, this was, uh, my, I guess my first hall of fame for decibel. And, uh, you know, for, for those who don't read decibel hall of fame is where you interview a full band about an album and you induct it into the hallowed halls and, uh, you do a full history and it's, um, it was a real honor to do this one, I think. And like all and, original uh, members need to be mm-hmm. like participating in order for that to work. Yeah. I even got uh, ICS Vortex to talk a little bit about it because he was the original live singer since uh, oh, uh, cool. Carl Michael couldn't sing and drum at the same time because as you hear in the song, he does quite a bit with his drums. This is this this was wild. Also, the the connections just from this band out. This is this is one of those bands where if you start here, it's gonna it's its own like sort of starting point rabbit hole for tons of other black metal bands. I mean, Dimu, Borgir, Arcturus, Dudheimsgard, uh, Dudheimsgard, mm-hmm. Oliver, Aura Noir, Virus, which was mm-hmm. Michael's band that came after this, right? Yeah, Carl Michael started Virus. Oh, Carl Michael, a couple yeah. years after. Bedwin's end had ended because Carhartt came out in 2003. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, it was just so many bands. I heard Virus before I heard this. Oh, yeah, is, sure. That makes sense. Which is, which is probably strange and, lo- and loved it. So then when I, when I came back to this, I was like, oh, wow. This is, mm-hmm. yeah, this, this makes a lot more sense now. And then Carl Michael's playing guitar on Virus, right? Yes. Guitar and vocals. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and for Vedwin's Enda, now he is also playing guitar and vocals because sadly he cannot drum anymore. Right, due to an accident. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he had uh, fallen yeah. out of a building and uh, he lost uh, the use of his feet to drum. He can still walk with a cane, but um, yeah, he, uh, he is unable to drum anymore, unfortunately. But they have a great drummer in his place, uh, even Minerval. Nice guy. Is that the only time that they've played the U.S.? Yes. Wow. The first time. That's definitely like that that town got a lot of a lot of people coming in for it i'm sure <laughs> that place was packed there were so many <laughs> bands that played that <laughs> it was it was an insane festival you know i i had heard this before and and it was really good to revisit this i mean you know a lot of this is like you know mostly slower mid tempo rhythm wise mm-hmm. um a lot of those kind of crooning vocals that you you imitated earlier of course which I, can be very hit or miss for me not sure. i think this this version of it is great I even love when bands like Demi Borgir do it, to be honest. Mm. Oh, I love Voltex. And and then also like just the, these bass lines. I mean, you can just 
unlike a lot of other black metal, like you can hear everything that's being played and it is all over the fretboard. And, you know, I think the common thing, the common thing with this band is like, you know, read by King Crimson, but like played by black metal guys. It's, it, that's kind yeah. of like the, easy, the easy thing, but there's something to it too. Like I, I, I read that in a lot of like kind of user kind of reviews and I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's totally right. I just think it, it's wild that black metal was being like reinvented like this at a time where it was only like, what, a few years from its like origination. Yeah. I mean, the way that it happened was everyone just got tired of it. <laughs> you know I mean? Like, like Transylvanian hunger was already out and Burzum had already released like four albums and you know, it was, it what was time to, to do something yeah. different. Yeah. So they, they did something different <laughs> and God, it's beautiful. I love this record so much. My, my friend flew out from Colorado. We linked arms and sang along to this song. It was so cool. Uh, rules. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, heavy metal, one of the few, one of the few and maybe the only genres where you can li- link arms with others and in the pit. <laughs> oh, it was great. What about a little bit of like the influence of this uh, band and this album? I mean, I think, you know, a lot of the dissonant extreme metal that would kind of wane mm-hmm. through the 2000s, but then hit peak in like the 2010s i mean death spell i think is an obvious right uh, and not an, an obvious one i don't know that they've ever talked about this group but i don't know i mean the the, the threads that uh bedwins end to have woven uh they, they go deep you know i mean so many people like even even like regular like not, i don't want to say like regular rock bands but like you hear rock bands talk about like oh yeah this weird album that came from norway like it taught us that we don't have to be melodic all the time stuff like that like it's it's a special album because they they do so much with such a minimal presentation i mean again they were a power trio and they they just did this glorious weird unique album that really set a precedent for a lot of things yeah yeah absolutely yeah the album again is written in waters anything else on on bedwin zen before i move on uh listen to this album in full please Absolutely. So let's listen to a little bit more of It's Magic by Bed Wensen.
Gubrum. This track is called Kabondo Bondo Muboro Bondo. Yeah. Formed in 1992 in Belgium, the album is called Albino de Congo 2008. I have heard of this band. I had never listened to a second of their music. When I saw the band, where they're from, and the name of the album, I was like, woof, where I'm in for something here. So <laughs> it's, a, it's an interesting album. Yeah, yeah. What can you tell us about this? I know you also had a, a, an interview and a write-up on Invisible yeah. Oranges. The great thing yeah, about, yeah. about interviewing you and also doing research for this episode, John, is like, I would type in just the name and the album title. And then like, you're, you're like something that you wrote for some publication would come up like second or third result. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm talking, talking the right guy here. Yeah. So like the, the whole story behind Lugabrum is that they start off as Burske Black Metal or um, Farmer Black Metal. And uh, they had like banjos and were like their their whole shtick was that they were just dudes from the countryside making black metal. And they definitely had like that kind of that backwoods kind of thing going for them. But uh, eventually they quote unquote moved to the city and became what Nathan Burke called brown metal. There was a lot of scatological humor and it was very odd. It was kind of like a Peter Bruegel, uh, the elder kind of painting where there's like someone shitting out of a window kind of thing. Because of their distaste of this of the city life or something, like, it was just it was it, it was their interpretation of city life in Belgium. Gotcha. But uh, for this particular album, they uh, went to the Congo, or so they say. Like they they never confirmed or deny that it actually happened, but um, they they what's the word I'm looking for? They they draw influence from Congolese music and more importantly Congolese history, because um, there, there's a lot. That Midgar's, uh, the main songwriter, talks about in an interview I did where they talk about King Leopold II, who uh, did the Red Rubber campaign in the Congo, where he was enslaving people and farming the rubber trees to nothing. This was like where you saw the pictures of like people with their feet and hands cut off from not you know, farming enough rubber. Like, it was horrible. So um, this was like their kind of commentary on it. And uh, the title Albino de Congo refers to, I mean, albinism happens in all races, ethnicities, etc. And uh, in, in the Congo jungle, albino people were seen as magic. And um, so it, it was them kind of try, trying to capture that magic, but also like bring about the social commentary about the Congo. So while they, I don't know if they ever went to the Congo or not, uh, I think this is a really interesting album, especially this track, which is very uh, psychedelic and strange and, and hypnotic and beautiful.
I think that Lugubrum is one of the more interesting bands out there right now. Even now, like you know, they they they've had albums where they they draw music from Micronesian folk and such. Like I I think that's really cool. I think they they are cutting edge in the sense that they are celebrating world cultures while still kind of having their sense of humor about it without being insulting. Yeah, sure. It's not a uh, it's not pillaging and it's not trying to pass they're not trying to pass themselves off as like uh representative and it doesn't feel tokenized you know yeah right right yeah yeah I, I didn't know much about this band but I, I i you know i think they may be an interesting band to talk about in terms of black metal not just because of the story i mean the story you told obviously crazy and yeah and interesting and like th- when you listen to this <laughs> Like it's, it's obvious, it's obviously like incredibly compelling music, but they, mm-hmm. they also seem to me and tell me if I'm wrong, like be one of those bands that kind of has increasingly distanced themselves from the genre. Right. Like, sure. Uh, you know, obviously Oliver are like maybe the archetype of, of that kind of, of that kind of move. But I don't know. I feel like black metal is also just kind of rife with bands who start off well within the genre. Um, and maybe Lugubrum didn't, I don't, I'm not familiar with the really early stuff. And just, but they just progressed so far beyond it with successful results. I mean, I, I, I wish you know we could say the same of like say death metal, but it's just categorically categorically inaccurate to say that. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, um, there's so many bands that start off as raw and kind of pioneering or straightforward black metal bands that just wind up in such awesome places eventually. Well, it's funny is the last couple albums that they did is Plaga Homage, which was like almost like a reggae album. Um, it's clean guitars, a lot of reverb, a lot of chicka chicka chords. Uh, but then they put out brain. What are the vocal? What are the vocals like? Uh, very throaty, kind of like ah, you know. Uh, yeah. He, uh, they they lost their singer Bardidus a couple of years ago, so Midgars is now their frontman. He doesn't really do traditional black metal vocals, so he it's a very throaty kind of like a froggy howl. But on their most recent album, they went back to a more black metal sound. But what they did to distance themselves from black metal is they filled it with fart sounds. <laughs> like, I'm not kidding. Wow. It's, it's farting and shitting sounds and uh, people hated it. I think it's brilliant. Like the riffs. I think it's funny. Like, like the, the, there'll be riffs and there'll be like, like a vocal sound. Oh, just, I see. <laughs> like, it's, it's hilarious. I think there needs to be more humor in black metal because it's such a humorless style, you know, it's oh, so yeah. self-serving and, I know. And, like serious. So like Lugabrum coming out and just being like, here's our fart metal album. Like, yeah. Okay. I mean, they've been brown metal for, for quite some time, right? Like it was, just, yeah. it was just a matter of time. It's, if Scott Walk Scott Walker can have flatulence in his, in his records, you know? Exactly. Oh, and Bish Bosh. A lot of people have accused him of having no sense of humor. <laughs> <That's cool. laughs> this was wild. Um, I, I don't want to, jump the gun and I could be talking out of school, but I, I wonder if a band like Mamalik are Lugubrum fans. I, I think so. Yeah, I, I hear some sonic connections in like the clean guitar parts of this album, like the especially the jazz. And I there may even be some, be some blues influences here. The field recording incorporations, kind of the sweltering feeling of like the recording and, and performance. And even like the vocals are not at times like a far cry away i mean if they are an influence i don't know you t- if they are I, you totally unlock something for me as someone who loves the mamalik discovery discography and doesn't know the or a lot of these other deeper 
kind of like black metal bands. Also, that interest in in a lot of world music, stupid term, but whatever, I'll use it. Like, you know, as well. I don't know. They, they, it just reminded me, like, spiritually of, like, Mamalik in some way. Sure, yeah. It's, uh, it's this interest in non-Western music, which I think is mm. very particular for this you know because i studied what is called ethnomusicology which i've now learned is just colonizer musicology but um <laughs> it's it, it it is this interest in the 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 other the the non-western kind of not able to put into the western music box that uh and like you know the 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 cultural kind of conclusions that you can draw that are really really cool and I, I think that Lugabrum adventuring into these when black metal is such a Western style is really awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, there's probably something a lot, you know, with identity as well. Like Mamalik is a, is a band that doesn't reveal really much of anything about their identity at all. Nope. So, and, and Lugubrum, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what their deal is. I mean, no, you I mean, they're, they're, they're more out there in, in the world, of course. Yeah, I agree. I think I think these things can be done in ways that are not a perpetuation of, you know, colonialist sort of practices and are instead sort mm-hmm. of like sonic discovery within 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 the realm or whatever. And then there's there's just certain ways they can present it that make it pretty apparent and obvious that this isn't this isn't being passed off as original or you know, it's not done in like a shitty like kind of way. Right. And it is ultimately an anti colonial album as well. So yeah, certainly. Their whether the whether their field trip to Africa happened did happen or not, that's that much is clear. Yeah, awesome. This is this is high up on the on the on the weirdo on the weirdo uh, <laughs> a chart, man. Like, this is, this I, I love the story. I think I think there should be more stories involved with black metal. I think early on there were a lot of stories, and now everyone is so serious. And like, while it is all about the music, I. I think it could be entertaining in other ways too, like this. Yeah, for sure. You know, and again, the the Mamalik thing, like the the last Mamalik album, Diner Coffee, like again, mm. is all is all about bringing humor right into, yeah. into the fold. So yeah, that, that's another way those those two may be kind of connected thematically. Um, anything else on on Lugubrum? Uh, we've pretty much covered all the bases. Uh, it's just a very compelling band. Yeah, agreed. Let's listen to a little bit more of this track, uh, Kabondo, Bondo, Muboro, Bondo.
All right. Um, this next one is uh, the band Solifold. Am I saying that right? Yep. The track is called Philosophical Revolt. This is a band that was formed in 1995 in Norway. The album is called The Linear Scaffold. This came out in 97. This is their debut yeah. studio album um, released on Avant-Garde Records, legendary Italian metal label. Yeah, why did you go with Solifold? And, and what do they bring to the, the weirdo rabbit hole? When I think weird, I think Solifold. I think Solifold is black metal's answer to Oingo Boingo. It's oh, just nice. it's so cartoonish and colorful and bouncy and weird. Uh, just to kind of give some background, Solifold is a duo. It's Larzar and Nedland, or Lazar, who you might know from Borknagar, and, and Ershetu, who's a recent band with uh, Vince Hall from Bloodhouse Nord, who's a band I should have left put on this list. But um, And it's uh, Cornelius Jackhelm. Uh, he had a project called Gut, and he's been in a couple other things. Solifold is just, it's odd. <laughs> like, it's black metal. Like, this song is undeniably black metal. But, like, there's just this, like, cell animation kind of quality to it. I think that it's it's kind of in the uncanny valley. But it's also funny. And, like, I think it's, un, like, unintentionally funny. Because, like, they were very young when the album came out. And Philosophical Revolt has this refrain where they start listing off philosophers. <laughs> Like it's like, oh yeah, Schopenhauer and oh yeah, Nietzsche and like you know, stuff like that. It's like, yeah, I know, okay, you you write a book on philosophy and you're 18 years old. Like, I get it. But it's it's such a fun song too. Like while there are the blast beats and the big keyboards and the, the clean vocals yeah. and the high pitched screeches back when Cornelius could do those, uh it it's just it's fun. great interviews with Cornelius out there. Like I did one with him for an, uh, an issue of Decibel and uh, Dial Patterson did a really good with him for Black Metal Evolution of the Cult. I think he's very well-spoken and uh, more importantly, he's not a piece of shit, which is wonderful. <laughs> you know, he's a, he's very much like on the left end of things, but he's very intelligent about it. And he can talk mm. for pages and pages on philosophy and the philosophical ramifications of actions so on and so forth. Like, I, I just think, I think Solifold's neat. <laughs> yeah. When you get, when you get that, that politics matchup, of course, it's, it's, it's always a great thing. And I know it's, yeah, I know what you're saying, you know, and, and to be able to speak 
from like a historical perspective on it and just just be kind of classy about it like that is is always appreciated i saw this described as a a brave black metal album and i was like yeah i like that like i i agree i think there's a lot of brave choices on here sure a, a band doing whatever the fuck they want for sure i think you know probably a lot of choices were made here that for the time were probably pretty bold and absolutely definitely pissed off a lot of a lot of black metal chubs <laughs> i'm sure um this to me this has like the perfect amount of like symphonic elements for me it's not mm. it's not overkill um it's not a heavy reliance on them but they add a lot in there's a lot of dynamics in this and interesting passages that kind of like start they do like start stop kind of thing a lot mm. with that um the clean vocals the clean vocals were a little a little rough for me but i do love the harsh screams they're very in, very intense yeah no cornelius did the inhale screams back in the day oh yeah 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 it sounds it's it's, it sounds killer on Mm. here i also love the very non-black metal album cover of like it's like two women reaching out into the sky from the the the, the very orange and yellow hues it's very yeah it's very nice i love it um there's also i noticed i was there's a track on this album called tequila sunrise Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> they they have a great sense of humor. You know, yeah. I think humor drives a lot of Solafold because I mean they they have a song like "Boo Boo Bad Boys," like it's <laughs> funny, you know, but they're they're still serious about their craft, and there's great songwriting involved. It's just it's just fun, you know, and I I think for this period of time, fun was such a novelty in black metal, like symphonic black metal was on the rise and. You know, it it was just is the symphonic stuff in your opinion like that's that's the not fun stuff, right? I love symphonic black metal. I think it's great, but it's it's not like traditionally fun so much as it's like like it's goofy, you know. Yeah, it, I mean, I think a lot, a lot of people, you know, refer to it as like the circusy vaudeville kind of sound, <laughs> right? And and it's because there's no other like especially from an American I guess maybe an American standpoint there's no other like frame of reference for like those types of like that type of instrumentation, sure. Um, and maybe there's some bands that that is intentionally like what they're going for, but you know you know bands like Arcturus and maybe Dodheim Scar to some extent too mm-hmm. could kind of bring that bring that into the mix. But it's it's typically something you find with with symphonic black metal, of course. Yeah, I don't go super deep in the in the symphonic world um i think in throne darkness triumphant might be my favorite my favorite symphonic black metal oh it's so good dude like morning palace oh i love that record it's so catchy it's it's it just fucking rules like front to back i i think mm. i don't think i ever gave Demu the time of day and i believe i saw aesop decker of Ludacar like riding super hard for that album in particular i think maybe on the old cosmic curse blog you remember that one oh that's uh, that's some formative shit. Early metal gem right there. Yeah, I was I was right there like right before it, he stopped doing it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's, that's kind of Cosmic Curse was some formative shit right there. That got me into so much weird stuff. Weird stuff, he, and I mean, also stuff that it is like kind of conventional, I guess. By other, at least when you're coming up and you're starting to discover all this new radical stuff, you the last mm-hmm. thing you want to do is like get turned on to like a you know Starflyer Fifty Nine, like a Christian shoegaze record, but <laughs> Aesop turned me on to that band too so you know what I mean yeah. like, no, it's it's funny like the, the breadth that the Cosmic Curse had but he also like got me so much into outsider music 
that like mm. I just never thought I would be into it because like you know like I I kind of like Jandek at the time he got me into like black metal where like people were playing junk percussion and shit like that like it was cool you know and that that kind of stuff is so far out that like it'll never be in and yeah. I like that yeah absolutely but yeah uh, I took some a little bit of a tangent I, I I did really enjoy this I thought I thought this was really cool do they have an, a pretty extensive discography is this is this yeah. kind of the one. I mean, this was their first record, but there's Pills Against the Ages, Ills, and Neonism, and Red for Fire, Black for Death. And Red for Fire is probably my favorite record of theirs, honestly. I think Sun I Call is a beautiful song. But um, yeah, I, I think for a first record, this was really um, brave is a good word for it, especially for 1997. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think it was like a that was like a comment on Rate Your Music. It was just like this is brave music. And I was like, I don't know if this is serious or joking, but I, I'm gonna I'm gonna run with it. I like it. Let's go ahead and listen to a little bit of Philosophical Revolt from Soulfog. Next up, we've got Dodd Heimsgard. Does anyone call this band DHG? I mean, it's on their new record. It's been it's been on every record like for a while, but they're still Dodd Heimsgard. DHG doesn't matter. Yeah, the track is Shiva Interfere. Um, they formed in '94 in Norway. The album is Six 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 International from 1999. This is the band's third full length. This is another classic band that I've never. Uh, dove very deep on um, I had a decent idea about how they sounded and kind of like the zany things that they've brought to black metal I think this is very much a futuristic style of black metal versus like yes. a summoning the ancients kind of thing but anyway tell us about DHG and, and what you love so much about them I mean DHG is the brainchild of Yusuf from uh, or Vikotnik from Vedwinzendo who we talked about earlier it started off kind of traditional they had this guy all drawn on vocals uh, I think actually Aldron is on this record as well. But um, they started off like Fenris was on bass. Like, it was very melodic, kind of strange black metal for what it was. But uh, like Monumental Possession was their second record. They brought in some piano elements, kind of symphonic, but a little weird. But it was this album where they just said, fuck every convention ever. <laughs> and it's just like, like it, it, there's like insane blasting, but also jazz parts, because why not? Like it's, it's cool. It's out there you would never guess their their roots because it's just it's 
I'm going to use this word a lot, but it's bizarre. There, this is another record where there is nothing else like it. Yes, and it's it's very 1999. Yeah, no, it's very like retro, uh, neo retro futuristic. Uh, you look at the cover and like the the kind of like the building landscape with the columns and everything that like it's it sounds like that. <laughs> it, it totally does. I mean, I was I was surprised how industrial, kind of clubby and electronic mm-hmm. a lot of this was. It's a little messy sounding, not in an insulting way. I, uh, that's very purposeful, of course. Like. <laughs> There's a lot of so much craft in this. Um, when this song just switches out of nowhere, like from what it's been doing into like this ravey rock and roll song, like like the seven Hell minute yeah. mark, I was like, what the what the fuck is happening here? This strikes me as one of those bands that if I listen, this kind of thing hap- is, is going to happen a lot. Like when you're listening, oh, yeah. this idea that you're being kind of fucked with, right? And then it's, and then at that point it switches back to like this insane proggy instrumental section and then back to the original riff all in like the the last like two or three minutes of the song you know i think mid-period over is like the closest i get i have gotten to this kind of stuff and i think maybe that thorns album from 2001 if you're familiar as well not not the same things obviously i think they just swim in the same sort of industrial a lot of industrial elements are coming into the fold being fused um, with black metal, obviously Blue Asnord as well, who I, a band I adore, um, are the other one that I really like the really highly like the industrial ones, like the seven, seven, seven series. Yeah, is, sure. Is, is, is my shit. This album is incredibly diverse though. I'm wondering if, do you hear, do you hear Bungle in this band and, and Mike Patton at all? Or is that just me wanting to put zany band like, and, and come and sort of like combine them together? You know, I could hear it. I don't know if Yusuf is necessarily a Bungle fan per se. I mean, like it's it's entirely possible because, like, you know, Bungle is the the root from which so many things grow. Yeah, and you know, Trace Spruance is a genius. But um, I I don't know. I, it could be. I could ask Yusuf, but <laughs> you know, it's uh, it, it it could be. 
these are the types of questions I I I prefer to ask other music nerds versus ever. I would never ask this to the to the actual musician if I had the opportunity. <laughs> of course. Have, uh, have you uh, have you heard Dodheim's Guard's latest album, Black Medium Current? I did. So after checking out this album earlier today, I was listening to I listened to the first half of this latest TSG album, and I loved what I heard. And it, oh, but it had amazing. a really really different thing going going on, which I imagine is for the course with this band but it was yeah. a lot it was a lot more my speed than 666 international was at least just based on a cursory like first listen sure i mean like 666 it, it's an album with some growing pains like yusuf had an idea and he fucking ran with it right yeah. but um they like it, it was after 666 then it was um super villain outcast which is even more industrial and strange it's just it, it just grows and grows and grows and it's such a beautiful band because like all the ideas are just so inorganic. <laughs> it's just, it, it's like it was synthesized in a lab, you know? Sure. This, I, I think I only got through the first four or so tracks of this new DHG album, but it's, it struck me as just a lot, a lot more fluid and mm-hmm. like connect, like connective, like the parts all connect really well and just a different vibe altogether. I know that, this album is getting a, a lot of praise from people too. From I think from long from especially from longtime fans who maybe yeah. didn't expect this. Yeah. I, uh, if you haven't heard the episode of the podcast that I did with him, we spoke for like an hour and a half, and we, oh, we awesome. spoke extensively about this particular album. And it was written in like the rehearsal room as opposed to everything else, which he wrote in the studio or something like that, or like in a, in a at home by his computer. So there's there's a lot more fluidity on Black Medium Current that you would find compared to like Alumbra Omega or Supervillain Outcast or Six 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 International. Um, I'm I'm definitely I definitely threw that onto my queue to to listen to as well because Six 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 International it was a wild ride and I, I enjoyed mm-hmm. all of it but this this new one just kind of it's just it's it perked my ears up a lot like when I when I was listening it's outrageous. Yeah, for sure. And maybe and sometimes I find with a with a legendary band that is still putting out great shit, stuff that's just as strong as anything in their in their past, a really good way for me to to get into the the older stuff is to start with start with the new start with the new one where they're still doing amazing things and it's just about mm-hmm. going back going back and figuring out like oh how well how did they arrive at this point, right? Yeah. Yeah, anything else on on Dodd Heimsgard that we may have missed? Uh listen to everything in order you will have a wild adventure like from corona Tilconga all the way to black medium current it is a crazy ride and you gotta listen to satanic art at the ep don't skip the eps so all right we've got it we've got our marching orders um let's listen to uh shiva interfere the uh first track off of 666 international by dot heimsgard
Next up, uh, you had me stumped on this one. I had never even heard of this band. This is Diabolical oh, wow. Ma- Masquerade, Rider on the Bones, with <laughs> Bones spelled with a Z. Yes. Band formed in 1993 in Sweden. The album is Nightwork. This is... A 1998 record, the band's third full mm-hmm. length. Uh, tell us a little bit about this project. There's a couple pretty pretty famous dudes in this one. Yeah, so I mean, this was the brainchild of uh, Anders Nyström. You might know as Blackheim from Catatonia. And uh, Dan Sano from Edge of Sanity and his solo project and a bunch of other things. You know, the prolific producer, you know, guest vocalist, etc. This, yeah, this is their third album. I think this is their best though I think Death's Design is a very fun album too, uh, for different reasons. This is this is like a symphonic black metal kind of song, but it has some prog parts, which I think are really interesting, like uh, some grooves, some interesting melodies. More importantly, it has Dan Svano's very high-pitched falsetto. Because <laughs> that those those are not femme vocals, that's Dan. But ah, we're like two octaves higher. The man can do everything. Oh, he can. Well, have you heard his project Steel? With no. That was no, a power metal band that they started during the Morning Rise sessions. Wow. And uh, Dan Svano does some high, high falsettos on that. My God. It's only three songs. Is Michael doing growls on that? No, he's only playing guitar. He's just playing guitar? Okay. And no, I will check that out. solos and Steel's Heavy Metal Machine. Yeah. Oh, hell yeah. That rules. But uh, back to Diabolical Masquerade. Um, I mean, this was like, you know... Anders was really into black metal in the early days and he wanted to start his own project, but you know, he's so singular in what he does that everything he made was weird. And Mm. uh, diabolical masquerade is no different. It's, it's peculiar the way that he made the music. Cause like, you know, there are the parts like there's no blast beats. It's just, it kind of rides and rocks along. It's groovy. uh, It has some cool, very groovy. It has some cool keyboards and every single song on this album has a Z in it. Dread Ventures, Rider on the Bones, and so on. Like he, it's funny. He has a sense of humor about it, which like you, you kind of find throughout all of this. Where like it's made by funny people, you know. And it's almost a piss take on black metal, but he still did the aesthetic. He was very vampiric. You know, he was wearing like the puffy shirt with the collar. And, oh, uh, really? That's awesome. I, I don't know if you read the interview I did with him and Dan. Uh, no, but, no, I didn't. Yeah, I, I did the first Diabolical Masquerade interview since Death's Design came out in 2004. Uh, but yeah, it's just it's just one of those albums where you listen to, you have a really good time with it. it, it it's just really well written. It rocks, it rolls, it blasts, but not really blasting, you know. It's just, it's a, it's a good black metal record.
I also get kind of classic late nineties, like melodic death metal vibes from this. Sure. Story. Yeah. They definitely came from a similar sort of school, especially since Andy, you know, he's Swedish and that, that was like the big sound in Sweden at the time. So there's, de- there's definitely some of that in there and he's kind of transmuting it into a black metal sound. Yeah. And it was still good. I mean, this, we're talking 1998 and this is like peak dark, dark tranquility at the gates mm-hmm. and back when in flames was still good. I feel like I can say that without, without being worried that the person I'm telling it to is going to, is going to, I'm that confident that everyone has that take. Oh, it's true. <laughs> yeah. This album has everything you're right. It's got the thrashy parts that grew kind of groove metal riffs and rhythms, proggy sections. Um, this album also does like the clean metal production really well, which is, Dan, which is, you know, what Dan Swano does. You make, make a, make a clear, you know, a brutal album, like, make a brutal album just have such clear production without sounding uh, at all like uh you know clinical or or anything like that just such so right. tasteful so tasteful in the in the arrangements and all that stuff yeah absolutely a- anders from catatonia was also what's uh, the band name is escaping me the death blood metal band with, yeah bloodbath right that's mm-hmm. his primary project as well right? yes yeah okay bloodbath's great love that that's going on at the same time. So that's awesome. I mean, if you're Anders, you're like, you've got Catatonia, classic death doom band that morphs into like a, an incredible, like alt rock, dark rock band, right? That just puts mm-hmm. out great album after great album for Absolutely. years. Years. Just keeps going like a machine. And then you got like this symphonic black metal thing that probably only like a, you know, a, few, a handful of people really know about, right? And then you've got like fucking the resurgent old school death metal band that did it before all the other old school death metal bands. did. That's a fucking resume right there. It is. It is. He's a busy guy. <laughs> yeah. Chooses his lanes very well. Um, yeah. I, I, I really enjoyed this. This, this was awesome. Um, had no uh, idea the, this, this existed, but I also, uh, I know Dan Swanyo's, uh list of musical projects is, is too vast for me to. It's to endless. Hold. Uh, the keyboards that start the song really get me going. It's the it's almost like an arena rock kind of intro mm-hmm. before it goes into black metal. You know, it's cool for sure. And and I know Dan has those ten like not not like Edge of Sanity or anything, but like in other projects. Like I've heard Dan bust out some serious, some like old classic like dad rock shit. <laughs> that's oh, in his I blood. mean, his... that's in his blood. His solo record, Moon Tower, absolutely. It just sounds like Rush with death metal vocals, you know? <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe that's what I'm thinking of. I don't remember where I heard it. I, I must have heard it on, like, Radical Researchers or some, some podcast. Sure. Awesome. Uh, this this was a very, very welcome welcome addition. Anything else on Diabolical Masquerade? Just that, how many are how many albums? Four? Four, yeah, because there's yeah. Um, Raven, Dark, Raven Dusk in My Heart, The Phantom Lodge, Nightwork, and Death's Design. Cool. And I'll, I'll, I'll do a second um, scouring of the internet for each one of these. And if you've written a piece or something, I'll, I'll include that link in the show notes so people have like cool. a little a little John Wikipedia to, to go along with.
right, let's uh, let's move on here. We've got a couple more left. We got two pretty pretty weird ones. Um, oh yes. We got Circle of uh, Euroboros. The track is called Warpath. This is a Finnish band formed in 2005. The album is Eleven Fingers from 2011. Mm. This is their tenth album. This band's got a lot of albums. They have many albums. I'm very glad you picked this because I haven't listened to this band in this record in so long. But I recall getting into them a bit back when I was really exploring a lot of the kind of oddball black metal stuff. Mm -hmm. And they stood out so much from everything else that I was hearing. What does Circle of Euroboros bring to the table for you? Bizarre production. I think that Osvar or Rauta, depending on which project he's in, um, he produces things in such a way where it's really murky and like kind of soft sounding which is a great foil to Auntie Clani's vocals, which are outsider. He, he doesn't really carry a tune. It's more like half spoken. Like he's kind of like this, to reuse a word I used earlier, it's like this lilting kind of sound where he's like a narrator in a very animated, but tired story. Mm, and in yeah, this particular yeah. song, Warpath, Handmade Birds put this out. That's a very important label to me. That's a uh, Rich Lauren Balling from <laughs> RX Bandits label. Um, that that connection so, al- always blows my mind when it, when, <laughs> when, when it when it comes up. Like the first time that I frowned out about that, I I I, th- I was in disbelief despite it being right there in front of me, reading it like Wikipedia or something. That there was because I I was a ska kid. I loved our expandits. They're they're one of the sure. few ska bands that I think still really holds up like to this day because they were just maniac players, and you could tell they were bringing. They were fans of so much wild shit, right? Mm. Like, Absolutely. Yeah. And Rich Rich uh, has a very eclectic taste. He actually just brought Handmade Birds back, which is cool. I love that oh, label. Awesome. But uh, this particular album, he put out two Circle of Orboros records. This is the better of the two, I think. I still think that uh, The Lost Entrance of the Just is very good, but this album is it's just it's really engulfing. And this particular song actually made its way onto Pitchfork. Uh, Brandon Stosui wrote about it. And, uh, yep, I read that review. Yeah, and that was so weird to me because I was a, I was a Circle of Orboros fan since about 2007. So like seeing it on like you know Pitchfork, the the biggest music site, it was like what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, at a time where where like they were trying to highlight some weird weird stuff that was happening in the metal world, right? And bring it in. Yeah, I mean Brandon was doing Brandon and Kim were doing a good job of highlighting like the stranger stuff going on in metal at the time. And uh, Andy O'Connor was doing it too, um, Mm -hmm. I think. But uh, this particular song, it's, it's very driving, but it's still very like, you know, uh, it's all mids. (laughs) The guitars are all mids. So it sounds like it's coming out of like, your amplifier was underwater.
again, very lo-fi, very smooth, very rounded. And uh, it's, a, it's a really beautiful album. I think, you know, while it is strange because, you know, the vocals take a little getting used to and the tone gets a little taken used to, the songwriting is great. It's all there. And man, can Rauta just write a fucking song? It's, and he writes tons of them. I mean, Circle of Ouroboros has put out like five albums in the past two years, and that's tame for them. Uh-huh. You know, it's, it's just, it's really cool. And uh, this is a very special band to me. I mean, yeah, revisiting this is definitely like is definitely making me want to just really dive back in. the The question is always like, like where, um, and there is <laughs> there probably is no bad place because, like you said, the attention to songcraft is is always big here. There's, I don't think there's. I mean, I haven't listened to like seventy percent of this band's discography probably, but from what I'm reading, there's nothing really here that is overtly like a black black metal or that they started off that way. I think they're. I mean, one of their first releases is that split with Erfaust, right? Oh, that's a great split. Araga yeah. is something like that. Yeah, that's a really, really, really good split. I think this is also like way ahead of its time. I mean, you'll you'll find all sorts of black metal bands that incorporate kind of dark wave and post punk and like the four AD mm-hmm. sound into their into the thing. And I'm not saying they're the first to do it or the first black metal band to be very over about their love of like say joy division or like you know whatever other 4ad dreamy kind of stuff right um but this this is like this is the dreamy metal thing that that we have you can kind of carve out a whole a whole category of bands and mm-hmm. and landmark releases that fall into that category now and there's a lot of dreamy dark music that's quite popular right now so i know that they don't seem to perform live but like you're saying they're super prolific with their releases Auntie yeah. performed live as Circle of Ouroboros once, but without Rauta. Rauta was not interested in performing live ever. So, the video that I saw was yeah, probably him um, with an acoustic guitar, and, yeah. with an acoustic guitar, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, he did yeah, that show in Russia. Some kind of renditions. So yeah, perfect. That makes perfect sense. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, no, like you bring up the dreamy stuff, and I think the closest comparison I could make to this album is that band Low Life, Permanent oh. Sleep, that yeah, kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah. Just that yeah. again, very dreamy, post-punky. Yeah, mm-hmm. they don't sound alike at all, but it like like I don't know, reminded me of some of some of botanist stuff, just maybe because the unconventional, sure, kind of the unconventional sort of applications, and then you get some of those screams, you get a little bit of like blasting here and there. Um, mm-hmm. They don't they don't sound anything alike, but they're just clearly like they're spirit cousins. Yeah, yeah, they're spirit cousins. Exactly. They're, it's the mystique. For sure. Very interesting band. Highly, I would say rates very high on the on the weirdo scale. Yeah, I agree. Anything else you want to you wanna tell people about Circle of Euroboros? You can't go wrong with anything you pick. Uh, all the albums are good. I just picked up a copy of Islands the other day, which is a great record. Uh, hang on, my dog is trying to eat my charging cable. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, no, it's it's all interesting. I think Eleven Fingers is one of their highlights, but it's all good. You could you know toss a dart at a board with covered with their band, their album titles, and just like it's all good. Yeah, no doubt. Um, we're on to our last pick. This is uh, a band I am really fond of, Mama Leek. The track is called Anthropology. This is a cover of a Charlie Parker song. They were formed in two thousand eight in San Francisco. The album. This track's featured on is Fever Dream 2008. This is the band's second full length. Of all the bands we've covered today, 
Mamalik are probably the only ones where I feel like we're probably very simpatico. I, I love this band. <laughs> I've covered them on the podcast a couple times, including this. I did a, an episode where I just did my, you know, my favorite covers okay. um, and then it included this track. This is a really special band that orbits around black metal, of course, but like every other band on this playlist, uh, there's so much more to, and I think this is the first time we get a non-European band on, on here. Actually, yeah, you're um, right. <laughs> so, um, you know, I'm, I'm the least patriotic person in the world, but, you know, if Mamalik is the, uh, the expression of the, the good old USA, I, I, I might be able to buy into it a little bit. So I'm glad you, this, this made it on here. Um, why did you choose Mamalik? What's kind of like your history discovery of them? So I, for the longest time, was the only person to ever interview Mamalik. Uh, on my old site, The Inarguable, uh, I hit up Dan Barrett, who was running Enemies List Recordings at the time, and he had put out uh, Kurdeacha. I was like, let me interview this band. They're pretty cool. He was like, let me, let me check. Okay. And I didn't realize it was like such a, a thing, you know, but for another 10 years, they didn't talk to anybody. And uh, I, I, think I found that to be really cool. I think cool. I've read, read that interview. Is it still up? Yeah. I think I read it. I think I read it back in the day because I remember reading that they, they're a band that then had only done one interview or something. And I think I, I found that one. So I, I never put it together. Yeah, no, that was that was me, and I interviewed them again for Decibel because uh, yep. the Flenser had asked me to, and uh, then ultimately Luke Jackson from my site uh, Invisible Oranges interviewed them about Diner Coffee, which is a great yep. interview, by the way. It's worth reading. Yeah, I love uh, it. Um, I picked this because it's probably the weirdest song on this whole list. I mean, it's a Charlie Parker co- cover. I mean, it's Bird, right? And uh, it's it's a cover of Anthropology played on guitar with someone going behind it, like <laughs> like what the fuck is this but it's cool like it's it's almost black metal like it's almost jazz it's kind of in the middle there and they they've deconstructed this song in such a way that it's just fucking weird like weird in a way that's separate from everything else in this list it's like outsider music outsider jazz you know Yeah, this is, you know, the original track is from 1947. I, I, this will probably sound just like Super Mario Brothers music to some people. Um, <laughs> there's a, there's a good, good reason for that. That old Mario theme music, you know, made by Japanese composers. Like, it takes all its cues from, like, old jazz and blues and fusion and stuff. This, this track is, is wild. Like, that, that juxtaposition of the, 
you know, playing the the main melody of Anthropology, and then the crazy shrieking. Uh, it's not even shrieking; it's more just like, it's like groaning. Yeah, groaning. Just sounds like a very cranky, a very cranky man who's in a lot of pain. And and then it does what a lot of Mamalik songs do. Yeah, not a lot. Some some Mamalik songs do where it it kind of just morphs into like this really lovely kind of like you know melodic phrase. And then, yeah. but then it will it will keep something in it, whether it's like the the moaning or like some weird sampled like field recording. There will be something that is so piercing and juxt like in complete juxtaposition to the lovely thing like happening at the same time. It's one of my favorite qualities of this band. It's just it's weird, and I think these first two records on Furusia Records, which was the band's own label, were, were just so special. I mean, the self-titled and Fever Dream, like, they, they were so adventurous. I mean, even more traditional songs like Go Into the Forest, it's just, uh, where, where they're, like, experimenting with post-rock and noise rock. They're, they're so singular and so, I don't want to say strange, because there's something comforting about it, too, you know? It's, uh, it, it's just, it's really special music. There is a, a comfort in their music. I agree that it's very hard to explain I, I struggle with my own understanding of what it what it is that I can relate to in their music. I tend to find like the the more overtly like metal parts are like are 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 incredible, of course. But like it's almost everything that's happening within within those metal parts that is clearly not metal that is like so interesting. And I lo- and I love when they just dabble into like noise rock or trip hop or. Mm-hmm. All these other, all these other strange elements, post rock, jazz. Obviously, like the you know guitarist is definitely somebody who's school who's schooled and knows how to play. He's got like jazz chops and stuff like that too. Yeah, a wild band. I'm fortunate that I'm. I think I'm one of the few humans who can say that they've seen Mamalik live. Oh wow! Okay. Because they've they've only played I think five or six shows, and and mm-hmm. I think it's a new it's a new thing for them to play as well. I think they really yeah, only started after Come and See. Yeah. Yeah, because they 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 do the whole like uh like the mummies kind of get up, which I really think is cool. Yeah, they're all wearing like ace uh, like, bandages, almost like pota- almost like potato. Yeah, like bandages are like it looks like a potato sack kind of over their head. Yeah, like drab clothes. I saw them at the Flenser showcase at this year's yes. um, Oblivion Access Fest. So very cool. Um, yeah, that that was probably great. How was agriculture? <laughs> incredible. First band I saw that day, and honestly so power like so powerful i know that they've got sure. some dates dates coming up with chat files well but yes was blown away and it was before the album came out like the the newest album came out too I, that was one of my favorite performances of the whole day and i'm like i'm a huge flenser head like can't get sure. enough of can't get enough of all that stuff and mama leak was wasn't was really 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 incredible too and also it was it was so cool to be around so many people who were genuinely excited to see Mama oh, that's Leek. always nice because yeah. And and you, I mean, I don't go that far back with them. Like it sounds like you you go back. You go back to a time probably where there were. He was like you and Dan Barrett and like maybe ten other fools out there who were like knew about them. Interesting. It's interesting that they were that they started off on enemies list and then kind of mm-hmm. you know made their way over to to Flenser as well. I mean, it makes sense because like Flenser kind of absorbed enemies list a bit. Yeah, it's like a, a merger, a merger and acquisition <laughs> that definitely benefited both the Have a Nice Life guys and, and Flenser quite a bit. Yeah, 
Yeah, no, and I, I think I think that Mamalee, you know, from from all the influences they have, because like there's like on Via Dolorosa, there's like the the trap beat that happens. Like what, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's, it, it's a it's a very adventurous and to reuse a word from earlier, brave band. They're just doing whatever the hell they want. Very brave band, and they're also Bay Area, so that make that Flinzer connection makes sense. Yeah, that's 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 awesome that you you're responsible for the own, the first. And for a long time, only interview um, with them. So yeah, you, yeah, I, I feel like a common theme throughout all of these, all of these picks is um, you just kind of bringing to light like the release, like through through your writing and, and whatever. And I, I think it's so cool to have those two things, like your passion for for these bands and these records, like interweaving with this with this playlist. So thank yeah, you. Really, very very cool. Anything else on Mama League? I know that they're uh, sort of endlessly interesting, but um, yeah, there's there's just a lot that goes on with this band, and um, you just have to listen really carefully. You could do a whole podcast about the discography of this band, and they're still very much alive and kicking, and probably more more popular than they they've ever been. So let's listen to a little bit of Anthropology from Mamalik, and then we'll come back and close things out. All right. Yeah, that's going to do it for us, John. Thank you so much for doing this. I, I greatly appreciate it. Hey, thanks, Jamil. This was really fun. Yeah, I mean, this you know, this was a whole lane of kind of weirdo metal that I, I knew existed. Um, I've obviously brushed up against it quite a, quite a few times, but never really took the plunge, um, especially with the avant-garde, like kind of European stuff in the mid to late 90s. That's a huge blind spot for me. So I really appreciate your knowledge and for shining a light on so much incredible music. For so many years through your writing, it's a real oh. gift to all of us who are also on this lifelong mission of kind of ex- exploring the vast rabbit hole that is uh, heavy and extreme music. So, you know, thank thanks to you for, for all your awesome work. Hey, thank you. You know, I just I, I want to celebrate music and uh, I, I hope I do a good job of it. You absolutely do. Um, and I, I'll encourage everyone to, to follow John on Twitter. Your handle is uh, Ron of Josenthal. I'll uh, link that in the show notes. Um, follow Invisible Oranges as well, um, where you can read some of John's work. I've linked everything below as well. Please subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. Rate and review if you've got an opinion on the show. And you can always email me at thesonicloth at gmail.com if you got something to say. And I will see you back here with another rabbit hole of music. Peace. Bye.